bless the youth as they go upstairs. So many kids that are here on Wednesday nights. And um, Lord, I pray you continue to bless their summer because I know in a couple of weeks some of them are going to be starting school or sports or things like that and busy with the school year. And, and um, so, Lord, I, I thank you for this time we've had with them this summer and the encouragement they have been to us and to uh, the children here and serving them and to um, the community down to watch. And so, Lord, I pray that that would continue and uh, they would continue to have a heart for you and a love for you. Father, tonight I, I thank you um, that some of us got rain, much needed rain tonight on our lawns and in gardens, and, and um, I pray for more uh, in the parched uh, land that we have right now and the dryness, and um, Lord, I pray for more rain, and um, that would be a blessing. And Lord, I do pray tonight that we would be washing the water of your word and that you would just, um, just refresh us and renew us as we go through this portion of scripture that so often gets ignored by Christians or Christians feel like that there isn't any... Um, anything for them to, to take. Lord, we know that uh, there is implication and application for us to make tonight, that we can see your heart and how it is that you desire for us to live. And Lord, how you desire for us to worship you and walk with you. And that is our hearts, Lord. We, we want to give you um, all that we have in our attention tonight. So Lord, I pray that we would do just that as we come and, and as we see that Moses would read to them the written word that, Lord, that as we read this written word, that it would touch our hearts in a very deep way, drawing us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in that section of the book of Exodus, of course, where uh, Moses had brought the children of Israel in the third year of their, or third month of their exodus after they left Egypt. And they're at Mount Sinai, and they're, they're receiving the law of God. And so in chapter 20, of course, the Ten Commandments, the foundation of the, t the law given to the children of Israel, and then the civil and ceremonial, or that is the civil and religious laws, given in more specific details as we continued in chapter 20 and, and as we go through chapter 24. We know that as the children of Israel are given that, they are given that law because it's, it's guidelines given to them uh, because they are now a nation. And even though they are out of the promised land, they're going to be for the next 40 years in the wilderness wandering. And then they will go into the promised land. And so these are laws given to them to, to again, civil laws and, and um, judicial laws and, and, and even religious law that are given to them to guide the judges in uh, ruling over the nation and making judgments in, in those things that they were to do. And so we've seen some of the, the different laws given to them concerning um, restitution, uh, pro uh, concerning property loss, what happens in, in case of violence, what happens uh, when the, the law of God is broken that says you shall not kill, uh, different scenarios, what happens if it's an accident, all these specific details that are given uh, to the children of Israel in running their nation and running uh, their, their, their civil parts of, of the nation as well and giving those judges and, and elders guidelines in all of that. And so uh, a lot of times people look at it again and they say, you know, it doesn't really mean anything to us. I mean, how many of us have to worry about if our oxen gets out and, and you know, goes into the neighbor's field and, and uh, you know, eats up their field? Now, living in an agriculture area, maybe that might apply to some, but for most of us it doesn't. But the thing is, we see the heart of God and how it is that we are to treat others and how it is that, that we are to be fair to others. And we see the heart of God towards the stranger, towards the widows, towards the fatherless, towards the poor, all these things that have been very interesting to look at. So we can make application. And so um, as we will continue to see this, then we're going to see more of the ceremonial law um, that will be given to us. In chapter 25, we're going to see that Moses is going to be shown the pattern of the tabernacle. So we're going to look at all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the tabernacle itself, out in the courtyard, um, all those things that uh, will be described to us in chapter 25 up to chapter 31. And then in chapters 32 um, up through chapter 35, we're going to see how the children of Israel 
turned away from the Lord and they started dancing naked around a golden calf because they were growing impatient because Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law of God. So we see that um, God deals with his people there and then we see also a reiteration of those things being made of the tabernacles. We finish the book of Exodus. When we go into the book of Leviticus, we're going to see more specifically the, the ceremonial laws and, and rituals and sacrifices that was to be done concerning the tabernacle. We're going to see the Levitical priesthood. Now in this, when we move into chapter 24, we're going to see that peace offerings and, and uh, burnt offerings are going to be offered up. The Levitical priesthood is not in place right now. And so it's probably done by who? The firstborn. We saw the law of the firstborn as the Lord says that the firstborn belongs to me. And it was the Lord's intent that the firstborn in the family belonged to him and they were going to do the priestly duties. But as they danced naked around that golden calf and committed idolatry and fornication and all kinds of sin, we see as Moses went down from the mountain that it was the Levites that would then turn to Moses and uh, help Moses in executing judgment, helping the Lord against the children of Israel, those who have sinned. And so it was the Levites that would then do the, the duties of the, um, of the tabernacle. It would be Aaron, the first high priest, and the direct descendants of Aaron, uh, that we're going to read two of those sons of his, Nabat and Abihu, in this section of Exodus, that they would be the priests. And so that line being the priests, doing the priestly duties, the Levites again. And we'll see more specifically their duties uh, that are given to them as we go into the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers as well. And as we look at these things, we can see how it is that you and I who are called, what a royal priesthood, we're called a kingdom of priests, Revelation chapter 5, how it is that we can serve and obey and worship a holy God. And so there's a lot of application to be made here. I've even had pastors tell me, oh, you know what, you shouldn't be taking your people through the book of Leviticus. These sections in, in Exodus and Numbers, they have no meaning for us today, and I disagree with that. All of God's word it has meaning for us and we can make application and we see the heart of God and that's why we go through it. And Paul the apostle felt the same way because he would say to the Ephesian elders, what? I have not neglected to give you the whole counsel of God's word. And he was talking about the Old Testament. And so we can look at this and be blessed and we can make application just as we did last week as we saw the three annual feast. That's where we ended in verses 14 through verse uh, 17 um, that three times a year these feasts that were to be observed were um, they were to come and worship the Lord during those feasts of course the first one was the feast of unleavened bread we saw that in Exodus chapter 12 there was the Passover that was instituted and it was in the first month and then immediately following after the Passover was the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where leaven was to be taken out of the homes. They were to not eat bread with leaven for a whole week during that time. And of course, as we look at the scriptures, leaven speaks of corruption, it speaks of evil, it speaks of sin. We see that symbolism very clearly in the scripture. And so we can make application of, yes, you know what, in our own homes. And, and, and as we learned about this feast, they were to go throughout their cupboards and pull out the leaven and not have it in their homes. And in our own homes, we don't want corruption in our homes, do we? We don't want evil. We don't want sin to be a part of our homes. But we in our homes, we want to be ones that we honor the Lord and we desire to have the peace of the Lord and the Lord uh, ruling in our homes. And so we want to remove those things out of our homes, don't we? And we don't want to take in anything that may cause corruption within us. We also saw that the next feast was the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of your labors. That would be later on. It's 50 days after Passover, known as the Feast of Pentecost. That was the first... Uh, of the, the harvest that would be brought to the Lord. And again, it, it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, Jesus fulfilling his death on the cross, Passover. The day of Pentecost we see as the first Christians coming. The church was born on that day in Acts chapter 2 there as we saw that the Holy Spirit came upon uh, the believers there praying and Peter stood up and he preached and 3,000 got saved. And so that was the first uh, of the gathering of, of fruit, that is those who would come into the kingdom. And then the last uh, one is the uh, fruit uh, or the feast of ingathering that would happen in the fall of the year. And, uh, and that's when the labors uh, of your harvest would be brought to the Lord. And so all these feasts were a reminder of God's provision for his people. And we can look and we can see how God has provided for us, can't we? I mean, he's been good to us. 
And we go through difficult times and we go through needs and we go through, um, you know, times of loss. But God has provided so much for us, hasn't he? He's provided salvation and forgiveness of sin and and he's provided uh, of his holy spirit he uh, is one that as we look at for example ephesians chapter one paul takes us into the heavenlies as he reminds us of all the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly places that are in christ jesus and he goes through and he talks about how we've been saved and chosen and forgiven and redeemed and we you know have an inheritance with uh, as we're joint heirs with christ all the spiritual blessings as we're taken up into the heavenly and i pray as christians that we would never forget how god has provided for us how he has indeed blessed us that we have relationship with the father because of what jesus christ did for us and dying on calvary's cross and being the passover lamb that died for you and for me and so we have been provided for and so as we read verse 18 concerning these feasts that were to be observed here we see that the lord continues and speaks to the children of israel and says you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the lord your god you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk and so because uh, we have been provided for because we have a relationship with the lord because of his love for us we have forgiveness we've been sanctified we we've been set apart for him all these wonderful blessings that we have we see here again that we can make application here and so you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread and since leaven was a symbol of of corruption atoning blood was not to be offered with leaven you know the thing is we we don't look at grace in in our lives as something well you know what and paul he addressed that in romans chapter six and saying should we continue in sin that grace may abound he says certainly not we don't continue in sin. We're dead to that. We're dead to that. And, and remember that we walk in a newness of life. We identify with Christ in, in, in his death. And he talks about baptism, being identified in baptism, and, and, and that we are dead to, to sin, that, that the, the old man is buried when we come to Jesus Christ, and then we are resurrected with him as we walk in that newness of life. We yield our bodies over as an instrument of righteousness. He says, reckon it to be so, is what you do. And so, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, what it has done for us and saving us, we don't want to be ones that say, you know what, in my liberty and in my freedom that I have in Christ, and the thing as a Christian to remember is that it doesn't mean that we're free to go and sin. It means we're free not to be in bondage to sin. We're free to live for the Lord and have relationship with Him and to live in holiness and righteousness as the Lord desires for us to do. And so we see that this, again, principle given, you shall not, uh, the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. Second of all, in these two verses, the fat being the best portion of the sacrificial animal. And, and so what the Lord is saying to you and to me is that I want your very best. And it isn't of, you know, here I come, Lord, and you're going to, you know, wait till you see what I do for you in my fleshly efforts and all of this. But the thing is, the Lord wants to do so much in our lives, I believe. And, and it's a heart that humbly comes before the Lord and says, I yield to you, I surrender to you, Lord, and, and I rely on you for you to do work in my life. I want to give you the very best, and that is my heart and all of my love. And my devotion and commitment to you, Lord, to do what it is. I don't want to say tomorrow I will. It was not to be left for the morning. And so oftentimes I think that Christians can miss out on what God wants to do in their lives because they say, well, Lord, you know what, I'll, I'll really you know, give my devotion and I'll really get serious about following after you and learning of you tomorrow. But right now I'm just caught up in a lot of things and the things of the world or I'm pursuing other things. There's a lot of distractions. And the Lord wants the very best. And the very best that we can give to him is a heart that is devoted to him and loves him and says, Lord, I'm yielded to you and committed to you. And so we give our hearts to him fully. And then he goes on and says, you're to give the first fruits of the land. And so the Lord desires for us to give him the first fruits. Does the Lord get the first fruits of our lives or does he get the leftovers? And again, so oftentimes, as Christians, we can give the Lord the leftovers of our time and devotion, of our giving, of our service to Him. 
And I realize and I understand that we all have living t- to make and we all have different situations that, that we need to be ministering to our families. We need to be ministering in different areas, uh, different things that, that keep us perhaps from ministering where we want to presently, whatever it might be. But the thing is, is it a heart where you say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to give you the first fruits, that is, of my time and the first fruits of my heart and the, and the first fruits of... of of, of resources that I can give to you and giving to you and, and whatever I can do for you. I'm not just going to give you the leftovers. But Lord, you're the priority in my life in every area of my life. And then fourthly, don't cook young goats in, in, in mother's milk. And again, you go to Israel today, you're not going to get a cheeseburger at McDonald's um, because they don't have dairy with meat. And, um, but one of the things here, that the reason that they believe that the Lord said this, because as they would go into the promised land, into the land of the Canaanites, it was believed that uh, it was a pagan Canaanite worship ritual of fertility to, to do this. That is, that you would uh, boil uh, a young goat in its mother's milk. And so God didn't want them to be associated or duplicate uh, that which was false, that which was, you know, wrong, that which uh, was corruption and and false worship and all that. And of course, in our own lives, we don't want to get involved with that, which involves false worship or false devotion to the Lord, that uh, which is going to lead us astray. We're going to see that the Lord later on is going to say to them in the next chapter, don't get involved in those foreign gods when you go into the land, because they're going to be a snare to you. And it ended up that it was a snare to them. He's going to repeat that over and over again. It's going to be a sword to your side, those false gods. Sword to your eyes. And don't compromise. Don't uh, make a covenant with the, the false gods. Don't worship them and those idols. And the children of Israel would fall into that. And it did become a snare to them. And so much that we can learn from as we continue here and in verse 20, we read, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. And so there can be debate and commentators and teachers on exactly who this angel is. I believe that it's speaking of the Lord himself, the, what is called a theophany or Christophany, a, an appearance of, of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The thing for you and I to remember is Jesus did not come into existence at the birth uh, of Jesus in Bethlehem. He is all eternally been existing. In the beginning was the Word. From all eternity past, He has been with the Father. And in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so He is eternal, the Lord is. He is divine. And so I have no problem with this being the pre-incarnate uh, Christ here, an appearance in the Old Testament, a Christophany. And the reason that I think that is because we are to obey His voice, aren't we? Does it remind you of something? It reminds me of John chapter 2. You remember the wedding feast? It was the first miracle that Jesus did. And his mother Mary is there, and they ran out of wine, and apparently it seemed like, the implication is, is that Mary was the hostess of that wedding. Some have suggested that perhaps it was John's wedding, John the Apostle, and that's why it's recorded. But be that as it may, we don't know for sure. And so here is this wedding. It's a feast, and, and all of a sudden they ran out of wine. And so Mary comes to Jesus, and Jesus tells the servants to fill the water pots up to the brim with water. And what did Jesus say to the servants? She said, you listen and do what he says. You obey him. We don't have a whole lot of words that Jesus spoke that's recorded uh, in the scriptures, but what she does record in her praise to the Lord is absolutely amazing. So this angel is going to go before you. You obey him. And it reminds me so much of what Mary said, do what he says. And you and I, we obey him. And, of course, Jesus, and as we will see in Matthew's gospel, he says, come and learn of me and, and obey me and follow after me is what he says in different places. And, and he's the one that forgives us as this angel, for he will not pardon your transgressions. Again, we already talked about this in Matthew's gospel, didn't we? As that paralytic was laid before Jesus, and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And it was the religious leaders that we're saying this man speaks blasphemy, speaking of Jesus, because who can forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. And the religious leaders were right in saying that. The problem was that Jesus was God and is God, and they didn't see Jesus as God, one who is able to forgive sin. 
And so Jesus, again, would prove his authority in the words that he spoke as he said, Arise, stand up, and walk. And so uh, Jesus is the one that forgives us of our sins. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have the forgiveness of sin. And then for my name is in him. And, of course, Jesus spoke about how the Father, me and the Father are one. And uh, the oneness of the Father and his name is indeed uh, in him and then he goes and he is going to prepare a place for us as it says to bring you to the place which i have prepared and that reminds me of what john chapter 14 doesn't it jesus said don't be troubled in your hearts you believe in god believe also in me and in my father's house are many mansions and if it weren't so i would have told you and i go and prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and receive you to myself that where i am there you may be also so he prepares a place for us. So I think that this is the Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate uh, Christ and the appearance in the Old Testament. In verse 22, But if indeed you obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. In verse 25, you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the numbers of your days. And so the Lord is saying that you obey me, you walk in obedience, and as I do, I'm going to bless you. Now, when you get into the book of Deuteronomy in chapters 28 and 29, you see the Lord right before they went into the promised land there, that he gives them the blessings if you obey me. And it goes through a long list. I'm going to defeat the enemy. I'm going to bless your land. You're going to live long. Uh, your children are going to multiply all these blessings. And if you disobey me, then you're going to be in bondage to your enemies. You're going to have famine in the land. And, and you're going to have difficulties. And we saw that it was very true as you go through the history of the children of Israel there in, in the Old Testament. As long as they were looking to the Lord and crying out to the Lord and desiring to walk with the Lord, we see that how the Lord would indeed deliver them from their enemies. As he says, I will be an enemy to your enemy here in chapter 23. And I don't know about you, but I want to be on the Lord's side. And he had already demonstrated that to the Egyptians who were going to hold the children of Israel in bondage and affliction and killing their babies and, and beating them. And, and it's Moses that said, the Lord says, let my children go. Pharaoh said no. And so he ended up being an enemy of the children of Israel. And the Lord says, I will be an enemy to your enemy. And I want to be on the Lord's side. And I want to make sure that, that Lord, that I'm going to obey you and walk with you, and I'm going to believe what your word has declared to me because I don't want to be one who opposes you or comes against you or disagrees with you or whatever. He says, I want to bless you again and give you the land. Now, it's interesting as he talks about how he will drive out the, the Canaanites and the other ites that are listed there in the land, but um, they would forget that, wouldn't they? And, and, and they would... This generation that is out here in the wilderness, they, this is the third month of the wilderness wandering, they got a long ways to go, don't they? And what should have been a fairly short time for them to go to Egypt up to the promised land, they ended up 40 years out there in the wilderness, didn't they? I mean, 40 years in a dry, hot, barren, rocky place. I mean, we think it's dry here right now, and it is. I mean, that desert out there, the Negev Desert and the desert out there in, in Arabia and the Sinai Peninsula, it is terrible. And it is hot and it is dry. And here these guys are doing laps around Mount Sinai for 40 years because they forgot the promises of the Lord and because of disobedience, because of unbelief. And when we get to the book of Numbers, the children of Israel go up to the border of the promised land and they send spies in the land and they come back and you know the story. And they bring back these great big grapes, you know, carrying them on their shoulders. And, you know, they said the land is good. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they said, but there's giants in the land and, and they're large cities and we're but grasshoppers and they're going to squash up 
squash us. And the people began to complain and murmur and cry and said, why did you bring us out here, Moses? And the Lord said, that's it. Because if you continual disobedience and unbelief, this generation is going to die in the wilderness and it's going to be a new generation that is going to go into the promised land. And out of two and a half million people, which is a lot of people, that left Egypt, only two went into the promised land. And that was Joshua and Caleb. They were the two spies that said, forget about the giants, worrying about them in the large cities. The Lord has promised us that he'll give us the land. Let's go get them. We'll eat them for lunch. Because the Lord had made a promise, as we're going to see, that he's going to continue to drive them out. And how oftentimes Christians, again, that we can find ourselves in the wilderness experience, you know, much of our Christian life in, the, in a dry, barren, hot place spiritually because of disobedience or because of unbelief and that's why it's important that when we read the word of god that we get it worked down into our hearts and that lord that you help me to walk in obedience it's my desire to do that and i know your word is true and you are faithful and that you're going to bring those promises to pass that you give to me and I may not always understand how it is that you're working things out, but I can trust in you. And you see, that's the abundant life that we can experience. And we can experience a life flowing with milk and honey. And I'm not talking about a weird, you know, name it and claim it and prosperity gospel that is so warped in the church today that gets preached. But you know what? It's a life that you see of joy and peace and strength in the Lord. And it's a life of direction and, and being used of the Lord and a life of true happiness that you have because I know, Lord, that you're going to provide for me and, Lord, that you're going to work on, in on my behalf and you are with me and you promise you'll never leave me or forsake me and I can stand on your promises and I can experience that abundant life and I know that you're going to complete that work that you have begun in me, Philippians chapter 1, and then also, Lord, I know that you're going to see me through and that you're going to do whatever is best for me in my life presently and in the days ahead as I look to you. So I'll drive them out, and it's interesting how he says he will do that. In verse 28, I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I can't imagine hornets. Now, this time of year, as we head into August, you know, the, the hornets and, and the wasp and things, they get pretty aggressive right now. And so if you get into a nest, you know how bad that can be. It's bad news. But can you imagine driving out a whole, you know, the Hivites and whole cities and villages with hornets? what that must have been like, but it says that that's what he said that he was going to do. And I will not drive them out, verse 29, before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the Sea Philistia, from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods and they shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me for if you serve their gods it will surely be a snare to you so that's where he says don't make a covenant with them the canaanites and the inhabitants of that land i'm going to drive out don't worship their gods because it'll be a snare to you but interesting he says what i'm going to do is i'm going to drive them out not all at once unless the land becomes desolate unless the wild beasts come along and take over everything i'm going to do it the best way and that is little by little i'm going to drive them out I'm going to drive them out so you can possess the land. And I love the book of Joshua. Because in the book of Joshua, Joshua, go into the promised land and everywhere you step, you're going to possess it. And I believe that there are many things that the Lord would desire for us to possess that are ours if we would just walk in faith and obedience to him. And here he says, I'm going to drive them out little by little. And you know what? So oftentimes... The Lord works that way in my life and in your life as well. When we get saved and, and we're a new creation, and many of us can remember just instantly how when we got saved, all of a sudden, just you know, the joy and the peace and this heaviness lifted off of us and just, oh, Lord, I'm forgiven. And you feel alive for the first time. 
But you see, the Lord, as we are saved, He still has to do work in us, doesn't He, in growing us and maturing us. We're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ little by little, day by day. And see, there are still those struggles that we can have when we get saved and as we continue through life in the flesh, those fleshly struggles, attitudes, whatever it might be. And the Lord is doing that work little by little. And little by little, we're maturing, we're growing, and we're getting rid of those attitudes or those struggles that we have or corruption that, you know, tends to come into our lives and pull us away, whatever it might be. Maybe uh, those, those things that are a distraction to us begin to lose, you know, its, its um, pull on our lives as little by little the Lord is working in our lives as we're maturing and as we are growing. But not only in our lives, as we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, little by little, day by day, from glory to greater glory. And I pray that that process is something that that you would look at and say, Lord, today, that you make me more like Jesus and walking with him and having his heart and pleasing him and what I think and say and do. And Lord, just continue working in me. I know the Lord still has a lot of work to do in my life as well, but little by little he's doing it. But also remember in your ministry as well. And maybe the Lord has given you a promise or maybe the Lord has put something on your heart and you think, well, it's not happening or I'm not ministering the way that I thought. You know what? The Lord, little by little, will get us there. And again, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. But oftentimes the Lord is preparing you and the Lord is working in you. And, and he does that little by little. So he says to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, don't despise the day of small things. Because the ministry that you've been called to do in building the temple, it'll get done. And the hands that laid the foundation are going to be the hands that finished it. And it's all by shouts of grace and grace. It's all by the grace of God that he's working in our lives. And he knows, you know what, what he needs to do in preparing us in the areas that he has us and and what he wants us to do. It's little by little. And so Zerubbabel, don't despise the day of small things is what he says. Don't despise the day of small things. And let the Lord do what he's doing in your life. And being used where you're at presently and the lessons that he desires to use you in and growing you. But you know what? We don't wake up and we're, you know, super mature Christian and, you know, big S on our chest. You know, I'm super Christian, you know. I don't struggle with anything, you know. I don't have any fears and look at me and, you know, things just run off me like water off a duck's back, you know. Nothing bothers me and... Sometimes I run into Christians, you know, that say, I don't fear, ever fear anything. And I'm thinking, ooh, you're a lot tougher than I am, that's for sure. Because sometimes I do fear. And I know that the Lord says to me over and over again all throughout the Scriptures, Jeff, you don't have to be afraid. And I, oh, I know that, Lord. And there are some things that I used to fear that I don't fear anymore. But there's still some things in my life that sometimes creep up and pop up that I, I get anxious and I wonder. And so little by little, the Lord working in our lives as, as we're being conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, little by little as he's bringing us to that place, uh, how he wants to use us and how he desires for us to be used for his glory and the ministry that, that he desires to put into our lives. So don't get discouraged. Just each and every day, follow after the Lord. Trust in Him. Just rest in Him and allow Him to bless you and grow you in a way that He's going to do that. And so chapter 24, now He said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nabad and Abihu. Uh, Nabad and Abihu are the sons of Aaron. Aaron had four sons. These are the two older sons. And 70 of the elders of Israel worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And so we see here that um, they are in receiving the law. The Lord, you recall, invited Moses to come near him to come up on the mountains. The rest of the people were to stay down below. Uh, Here we see that Aaron, Nabad, and Abihu, the elders, they're going to go on the mountain and they're going to actually eat with the Lord. They're going to have dinner with the Lord. 
But we've talked about how it was Moses that would go up on the mountain, receive the law of God. He had told them that, you know, the children of Israel, they were to stay down below. And, and we're going to see that after this event, that then the elders and, and, and Aaron and her and all those guys were to go down the mountain and take care of the camp and only Moses up there. But it does remind me as we see that Moses spent that time in the presence of God up on the mountain, that as the people were down below, don't cross the boundaries there on the base of the mountain lest you die. That it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, that we who were afar off, because you see, the law will never bring us into a right standing with God because we can't keep the law. The law isn't going to bring salvation to us because we're lawbreakers, every single one of us. And Paul the Apostle in the New Testament makes that very clear. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ. We who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. As we go to Mount Calvary, and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, now we can come boldly into the presence of God because of what he has done for us. But we see here that these guys are, are there, and, and, um, and here the people are affirming um, for the second time that they're going to obey the law. Now, it's interesting because we're going to see that they have dinner, and in chapter 25, Moses is up on a mountain. When we finish this chapter here, it tells us that Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. So short time after this, after they say, we'll obey you, Lord. We're going to do what you tell us to do. We already saw that the children of Israel as a whole had answered that when they were receiving the law. We'll obey you. We're going to see a short time later they're going to be sinning, aren't they? And they're going to be dancing around a calf, golden calf naked and all of this. So were they answering out of self-confidence and saying, yes, we'll obey you, Lord? Or were they answering because they were just overwhelmed by the tangible presence of God on that mountain? I mean, it's like a furnace burning. It's on fire and thunders and lightnings and the earth shook and, and the voice of God and a trumpet that got louder and they were overwhelmed. And we talked about how they saw the awesome display of God and how an awesome sight it must have been for them. So were they answering out of self-confidence or were they answering out of just awe and out of trembling because of the tangible presence of God? I think it'd be a little bit of both. Nabat and Abihu, we're going to see in Leviticus chapter 10 because of their pride and because of their desiring to take the glory away from the Lord that they ended up being consumed by fire. Because they're going to run into the temple, the tabernacle that is, as they lit profane fire. We'll talk about that in Leviticus chapter 10 in just a few weeks. But I'm just kidding. It'll take longer in a few weeks to get to Leviticus 10. But self-confidence. Oh yeah, Lord, I'm going to follow after you. Oh man, you're going to wait and see what I'm going to do for you, Lord. I've never said that. But, but the thing is, we can say that in our hearts. We can say, Lord, you wait till, man, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to read my Bible for three hours a day, and I'm going to get up at four in the morning, and I'm going to do all these things, and that's great. But oftentimes what happens is, is that after about three mornings, we start to sleep in. And it isn't three hours or two hours or an hour, whatever it may be. And then pretty soon we realized that, oh, I didn't do what I said I was going to do and wanted to do. And we started, to, you know, to crash spiritually and get down and discouraged. Or oftentimes people just have this, this, this trembling of the Lord. And we talked about how the scripture talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. That's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. But what does it mean? It means you have reverence for the Lord. You're in awe in the Lord. He's an awesome God. But also remember, he's a loving father who loves us. And we have the spirit of adoption and we can cry out, Abba, Father, Papa, because we have relationship. And so it's not an unhealthy fear and, and God's going to get me and zap me if I get out of line. And I've met Christians that they're just terrified of the Lord. They get out of line or whatever it is and they live their lives in that way. So the best way to respond to the Lord, for us to really experience his blessings and walk in obedience and yielding to him is to respond out of what? Love. Just love the Lord. Love him. 
And that's why, as Paul the Apostle that said in the book of Romans, they said all the law can be summed up in one word. What is that love? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So it's loving God and loving others. Respond in love. And as you respond in love, it's going to be not I have to do this, it's I want to do this. You see? It's not that I, I got to, but I get to. Because I belong to my Lord who has provided for me. Who's blessed me and forgiven me and done so much for me. The creator of the universe would love me. And that's why David just marveled and said, Who am I, Lord, that you would be mindful of me? To consider me the crowning jewel of your creation. To, to save me, to send your only son. To die for me specifically. And you just overwhelm. And, and the love, the, the supreme, unconditional love of our Lord. And we can love him because he first loved us. Respond out of love for him. Walk in love. And as you walk in that love, you're going to walk in obedience. And you're going to walk in joy. And you're going to walk in peace. Enjoy the Lord. Enjoy him. Yield it to him because of your love for him. And so they answered. They said, oh, we'll follow you, but we're going to see that they're going to fall short of that in a few days. And so verse 4, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And so we see here in verse 8 also, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant, which is the Lord has made with you according to all these words and so here we see in verse 4 of course the first reference of the written record of God's word is what we see here as Moses would write these things down the book of the covenant and stuff and again so it was those as they were given burnt offerings and peace offerings burnt offering we'll see in Leviticus 1 it was an offering of of, um, of fellowship a peace offering actually was the offering of fellowship burnt offering of worship. I give all myself to you is what it symbolizes. Again, we'll get into those offerings when we get into the book of Leviticus. But again, Leviticus or uh, Levitical uh, priesthood it was not established here. So it's probably the law of the firstborn here that the firstborn is doing these sacrifices here. And we're going to see that that's going to change after Moses comes down because it's going to Levites, as Moses said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come with me. And the Levites come and they go throughout the camp and they slay 3,000 on that day. And so it is the Lord that says, okay, the Levites now are going to be used in the, the um, ministry of the tabernacle and the priest as well in that. And we'll talk about that later. But here right now, the peace offerings and, and the fellowship uh, or the burnt offerings offered up here. And first, an altar at the foot of Mount Sinai erected 12 stones uh, or pillars to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so uh, we see that uh, in this, that first of all, Moses reads the law to them, the word of God. And as you look at the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures, from this point all the way through, you see a priority in that, don't you? The taking in, the reading, the learning of the word of God. And we're going to see that Moses is going to be told by the Lord, you tell the children of Israel, you tell the parents that they are to what? Teach their children diligently the, th the word of God, the things of God, the law of God. We're going to see that Joshua, when he goes into the promised land, that Joshua, if you're going to be successful, then meditate on the word of God day and night. Meditate on the law, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, to be successful, and for any of us to be successful in the best sense of the word, that is spiritually and in the things of the kingdom, you meditate on the word of God day and night. And that word meditate actually has the meaning of chewing on the word of God, like a, a cow we see in the fields chewing a cud, and they swallow it and bring it up and chew on it again. And you take in the word of God, taking it in day and night, just allowing it to give you wisdom and growing you because the word of God is alive. We see throughout the scriptures that David, how he valued the word of God. I believe he wrote Psalm 119. The longest chapter in scripture is all about the importance of the word of God. 
taking it into our lives, guiding us, teaching us in our own lives. We see in Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 30, that Josiah, he read the book of the covenant. This what we are reading to the people because they had gotten away. It was Josiah that came in. He was the grandson of Manasseh. It was a terrible time in the history of Judah. They're cleaning up the temple. They find the, the book of the covenant there in the corner under a bunch of trash in the temple there in Jerusalem. Because Manasseh, his grandfather, had put in all kinds of idols and, and desecrated the temple and stuff and plunged the nation deep, deep into idol worship. They didn't have any, any scriptures in the land. They, they, they weren't familiar with it. And they blew the dust off this thing and began to read it. And Josiah tears his clothes as it burned his heart, the word of God being read to him. And, and, and so the people would repent and turn back to the Lord. And they would institute Passover once again. We see after the captivity, Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra read to all who could understand. We see in the early church in the book of Acts, again, that as the church grew, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that is, in the teaching of the word of God. And you see, as the church grew, the word of God multiplied. We see that it was Paul the apostle again to the Ephesian elders. I did not neglect to give you the whole counsel of God's word. We see Paul at the end of his life, he would say, Timothy, Timothy, come quickly, bring my my coat, but especially the parchments. Bring me the scrolls. Timothy, I'm in this terrible, terrible place. This dungeon is cold as damp. Winter's coming. Bring me my coat. But oh, don't forget the scrolls. And the reason I'm pressing this, and you guys know my heart on this, it's because not only the church at large is getting away from the importance of the Word of God, but I pray let's bring it home a little closer for us that you as a Christian would never diminish the importance and the priority of continuing to be reading and taking in and studying the Word of God in your life. Because what can happen as Christians is we can do that. Well, you know what? I've been going to church and I've been going to Bible study and, and, and I've been studying for a while. I don't need to do that anymore. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's not a good place to be. And you see, here at Calvary Chapel, and I say this very humbly, and it isn't because of me, or any, it's because, because we place an importance of the teaching of the Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you guys are growing. As you, come and you can come on Wednesday nights, you can come Sunday mornings, you can come when the men's study starts, and after a few years of coming here, most of you are going to learn more of the Scriptures than seminary students are. Because many of the Bible colleges and seminary are getting away from all of that. And you're growing. But what can happen is, is, well, I've been going to Bible study. I've been going to Wednesday nights for four or five years. I don't need to go anymore. Don't ever get into an attitude where you feel like I don't need to learn anymore. I know it. I know the Bible. How many people sit up in my office that say, well, you know, I know the Bible. I don't need to come to church anymore. And I think, you know, I've been teaching the Word of God for 12 years. There's still so much I need to learn. So the priority of the reading and the studying of the Word of God here, and so he would read in the hearing of the people in verse 7. But also we see here that it's interesting that uh, as Moses would read to them, he sprinkled also here in this affirming the covenant, this blood on the people and on the altar. And it's the only time in the Old Testament that the people were sprinkled with blood. It's thought that possibly the people were sprinkled in the, in the sense that the altar, or that is the, the stones, uh, these pillars represented the people. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And since we are saved, is what Peter is saying, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are sanctified that is set apart to obedience for him. We're not saved so we can just live any way that we want to live. We are set apart for him. He shed his blood for you and I. We have applied the blood of Jesus Christ to our hearts and to our lives. And the sprinkling of the pillars, the stones, the sprinkling of the people symbolize that, you know what, you're to walk in obedience to him. You are my people. You've been sanctified for me. But also in that, 1 Peter chapter 2, the sprinkling there and, and, and these stones and stuff and these pillars, that we are also living stones being put together, aren't we? Peter says, here's your, your privileged status. You're living stones, 
being put together as a holy habitation that is a temple, a building unto the Lord. The church is the temple of God. First Corinthians chapter 3 as a whole, and individually we're the temple of God as well. So we're brought together and, and, and because of the blood of Jesus Christ into one body, into one holy habitation as well. And so Jesus comes along also, as I read this, as it says that this, verse 8, is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. It reminds you of what? On Jesus in that upper room where he took the cup and he said, drink, this is the cup of what? The new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then verse 9, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nahad, and Abihu, and seventy elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work a sapphire stone, and it was like a very heavy heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand, so they saw God, and they ate and drank. And so here they have dinner with the Lord up on the mountain. They saw God, but... But here, you know, there's, again, the Scripture says in John chapter 1 that no one has seen God at any time. No one's seen him in all his fullness, his glory, because they would be consumed. And the Lord told Moses that. So Moses, I'm going to hide you in the rocks, and then I'll pass by you, and you can look at my afterglow. That's where they get the term afterglow. And here is, I, again, I believe... John chapter 1, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him another Christophany. Some have say, well, it's just a vision or just seeing under the feet or whatever it is. I have no problem again of another Christophany as we see that they eat with the Lord, which is what? A sign of fellowship, isn't it? As it was the religious leaders we saw in Matthew chapter 9 so upset that Jesus would eat with the tax collectors and other sinners as he had called Matthew to follow after him. And Matthew's giving his farewell dinner saying, I'm leaving collecting taxes. I'm going to follow now after the king of all kings. Jesus Christ. And so it was the religious leaders that was so upset because Jesus was eating with them and said, why does your master eat with such sinners? And Jesus heard them and said, you know what? I didn't come to call the righteous, but those who are sick, I've called sinners into repentance. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And it's Jesus that said to the church at Laodicea that behold in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 I, I stand and knock at the door and if you open up that is the heart of your door I will come in and fellowship with you sup with you and dine with you. It's a symbolism of fellowship. They were so angry at Jesus because as he ate with Matthew and others it was a symbol of fellowship. And so here, a symbol of fellowship that they're having with the Lord. In verse 12, And then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And so again, Joshua is mentioned here. Joshua is uh, the assistant uh, to Moses, and I like that term assistant, you know, because Joshua was a servant. He assisted Moses. He assisted the people. He served the people. And so that's why I call Pastor Darrell an assistant pastor. I, I never cared for terms like executive pastor. Nothing wrong with it, I suspect, but it just, I don't know, it sounds too business-like or something. Or even associate pastor. Eh, assistant pastor. Joshua was like the assistant pastor and he was a servant that was there and he served Moses and he served the people. And whether it's an assistant pastor or whether, you know what, you assist in a ministry or whatever it might be, we're all called to serve. And we're all called to just be humble before the Lord and serving in those areas that he wants us to. And so here's Joshua is going to be faithful to that ministry for 40 years. And so we see that, verse 14, he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If a man has a difficulty, let him go to them. And so, you know, the elders are going to go back down. Moses is going to stay up on the mountain. Aaron and Hur with them, the ones that would hold up the arms of Moses, you remember, as they were doing battle against the Amalekites, and it was a symbol of pre, you know, prevailing prayer and victory and all of this. And those guys, Aaron and Hur, were so good at that and helping Moses hold up his arm, but they're going to go down. They're not going to guard the camp very well, are they? 
Because the people will grow impatient and Aaron's going to say, well, you know, take your gold and gather it up and let's make this idol. And Aaron, you know, Moses comes down and Aaron says, well, just this idol came out and made excuses and the people, you know, made me do it and all of this. They didn't guard the camp very well. And you see, in our own lives, the Lord will call us to be men and women of prayer and prevailing prayer and and, and, and we're to do that, and assisting, and serving. But I'll tell you what, also we're to be ones that we are to guard and what the Lord has entrusted to us, moms and dads, right? To guard your home as you pray for your kids, as you're ministering to them and teaching them the Word of God. There are times you're going to have to guard, and there's a lot of things to guard against that will come into our homes, isn't there? in your business to guard and say, you know what, we're going to honor the Lord in the way that we do business as perhaps a suggestion, well, you can kind of, you know, skip this and kind of finagle that and cut corners here and that, that you can guard and say, no, that's not pleasing to the Lord because my business that I'm responsible for, that you know, we're going to guard or supervisor, that I'm going to treat the people right, I'm going to be fair, but also I'm going to be the best supervisor I can be in getting the work that needs to be done. There are times that we're called to guard, and they didn't do that. And then if people grew impatient, they should have been saying, you know what, you need to wait and you need to wait on the Lord and don't do this thing, but they didn't. Because they became weak. And you know what? We live in a day and age, and I know it's getting late, and we'll finish up here in a minute, that we can't be weak, folks. When it comes to raising our family, when it comes to pastoring the church, when it comes to, to, to living the way that the Lord wants us to live and running our business or supervising or you know, doing ministry or whatever, we're called to guard at times the ways of the Lord and the things of God that have been entrusted to you and to me, and that's very important. It's not always easy, but it's something that we've been called to do, and they did not do that. And they went down the mountain, and it got real sloppy in 40 days. And I pray for all of us that we would say that, you know what, Lord? I want to be one that prays. I want to be one that loves. I want to be one that's an example. I want to be one that, you know, teaches. But I know there's going to be times where I've got to guard. And I've got to protect. And I've got to stand firm. So Lord, help me to do that. And then as we finish up, verse 15, Then Moses went up to the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and a cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. You know, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this six days, and then the Lord called Moses out from out of the cloud. In those six days, I don't know, you know, what was going on. If it was quiet, if, if Moses is just there in the presence of the, the Lord there in that cloud, I don't know. Sometimes I think maybe Moses was taking a nap for six days, you know, and then the Lord called him because ministry can be real hard. can be real hard sometimes. And I suspect that Moses is there just in the presence of the Lord, just resting in the Lord. And then the Lord called him out of the cloud, and the Lord's going to show him the pattern of the tabernacle that we're going to see in the next chapter. He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. But you know what? It's real important that we do spend that time in just being quiet before the Lord and resting in the Lord. And being refreshed and renewed. We all need to do that. Some of you have been doing that this summer, maybe getting away for a little bit, maybe plans ahead. But Jesus would say to his disciples, let's, let's come apart to a place where he would take his disciples and they would get away. And I think it's important that we do come apart to that quiet place because if we don't, you're going to fall apart. You're going to fall apart and get burnt out and stressed out. And it's something that I've got to remind myself at times. Because we get tired in life. We don't get tired of life, but we do get tired because of the responsibilities and the people coming at us and raising kids and paying bills and doing ministry and all this. So it's real important that we come apart to the Lord, not fall apart, that we be quiet before the Lord. 
to listen to his voice and be refreshed and renewed. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went in the midst of the cloud and went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I know I've gone long tonight, and we're going to pray, and then we'll go ahead and end it here tonight. But it is my prayer that tonight, that again, we would just be reminded of the love to show Jesus Christ, to just rest before him and be quiet before him, fellowshipping with him, trusting what he has to say to you and to me and the promises that he gives to us. And so, Father, we thank you for these wonderful applications that we can make tonight. And, and Lord, as we have read these chapters, perhaps even more that we can talk about, but we're reminded of those things that perhaps we already know, but, but it's safe for us to be reminded of them and good 